I want to ask you a question this morning. Uh, If you knew you only had a short time to spend with your loved ones before leaving this world, what would you tell them? What would be on your mind? And you don't have to think too hard about it because there was somebody just like that in 2001. They knew he only had a short time. There was a lot of people that made phone calls on 9-11-2001. One of them was Brian Sweeney. I remember 9-11. You know, many young people today, they were either too young or they weren't born yet to know what happened on that day. But I remember, I look back, and you know what you were doing on that day. I know that we were up at the church and we were working on the pastorium. It was a little uh, double-wide trailer and it was up on blocks. We're in uh, Warner Robins, Georgia. Brother Grady had his house over in Fort Valley, but we also had the pastorium there next to the church, Calvary. And it was on the side of a hill, so those blocks, it was cinder block basement, basically, into the side of the hill. And uh, we had problems with mildew, mold. And uh, we were down there, and we were trying to kills over it. We were bleaching the wall and trying to kills over it. You know, now I know that doesn't really work. But uh, we were working down there, and I heard something on the radio about a plane hitting a building. And uh, went up and turned on his TV for a minute. He wasn't home. But I respected him too much to sit in his living room and watch what was going on on the TV. So he just kind of listened to the radio, and things happened. And you didn't expect it to be that big. And, uh, you know, two planes hitting the World Trade Center, one hitting the Pentagon, one going down in Pennsylvania. And trust me, I'm not trying to depress you this morning. I'm just trying to set you in the mind for what we're looking at here. And uh, many things happened on that day that would be uncovered later. There was a bunch of recordings. It would peel back the letter, layers of what happened. But when we were going through it, we had no idea. We didn't know if some pilot was drunk. We didn't know if it was a hijacking. We didn't know what. We didn't know if some air traffic controller just gave wrong. We don't know. And then the other plane hit, and it's like, this is starting to look on purpose. And then the buildings came down. And we never knew till years later the destruction that happened on that day. Well, one of those recordings was a message that Brian Sweeney, a former Navy pilot, Top Gun instructor, left for his wife, Julia. This is from an article at people.com. I want to read it to you. Minutes before United Airlines Flight 175 slammed into the World Trade Center, that was on the South Tower, on September 11, 2001, 38-year-old Brian Sweeney made a phone call to his wife from the back of the plane. He said, I'm on a plane. I'm on an airplane that's been hijacked. Sweeney said in a voicemail left to his wife, Julie Sweeney Roth, if things don't go well and it's not looking good, we know from other phone calls that a stewardess had already been stabbed, that they suspected that the pilots had been killed, and that the plane was flying erratically. He said, and it's not looking good. He said, I just want you to know I absolutely love you. I want you to do good and have good times. Same to my parents and everybody. That's hard to read. Same to my parents and everybody, and I just totally love you. And I'll see you when you get there. 
my bad. I hope I call you. He's hoping he was wrong. He was hoping he'd come out on the other side. After leaving the message, Sweeney called his mother and told her he loved her before abruptly hanging up the phone. According to CNN, the call made at 9 a.m. that morning was completed three minutes before the plane crashed into the top of the South Tower. His wife said he was a warrior, and he just didn't believe that something like this could take him away. Roth, who is now remarried, said in a video published by the 9-11 Memorial and Museum, all I needed was that message, and I think he very selflessly left it. I don't think he left it until he knew he wasn't coming home. Brian Sweeney knew, and, and they, they say that message is on a, you can pick up a phone and listen to that message at the 9-11 Memorial. But Brian, Brian Sweeney knew that he only had a short amount of time to leave a message for his wife, and he wanted her to know that he loved her. And he wanted her to be able to carry on if he didn't make it. And he said, I'll see you when you get there. When we, uh, we look at, uh, I can get my thoughts together, running commentary. When we look at John chapter 15, 14, 15, 16, and 17. See, this, this sermon started out with just John chapter 17. I was looking at Jesus' prayer. And as I began to read for context, as I began to go back, there's more to it than just a prayer. And I just wanted to look at it in the context. This is called the upper room discourse. Jesus had been with the disciples for three years. They had walked through the countryside healing. Jesus had healed. He had preached to the people. He was teaching to the people, teaching the people. And when they get to they come to Jerusalem just as it's prophesied, and he comes riding in on the back of a donkey. And they lay palms in the road, and they're praising the coming king. And they're all looking for the promised Messiah that was coming, and they were expecting a king that would set up a kingdom, and they were, they were expecting him to be that king. And they were expecting to be independent again, Jerusalem, just like in the days when David was king over them. They didn't realize that Jesus had come to pay a price, but Jesus knew it. The disciples didn't fully realize what was happening while they were in the middle of it. Just like in 9-11, the events were happening. We look back, we see them clearly now. But at the time, we had no idea what was going on. They were scrambling bush around the country on Air Force One because they didn't know what was in store. When you have four jets go down, you start to wonder how many more. They actually grounded the whole country. I'll stay off of that. But you get my point. That while they're in the middle of it, when they're sitting in the upper room and they're having the last supper, they have no idea what's going on. But Jesus begins to talk to them. And in chapter number 13, he shows them some things. In chapter number 13, verse number 1, it's really kind of a key verse to start out with. It says, now before the feast... Chapter 13, verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus, knowing that he was about to leave, he wanted to share some things with the disciples. He wanted to equip them for what was coming. Jesus knew every whip, 
Jesus knew every thorn. Jesus knew every tear. He knew every drop of blood that was going to be shed. And he knew every sin that was going to be made payment for. God had set it up a long time ago. And with the offering, it said he'd given us the offering on the, the sacrifice, the shedding of blood. Leviticus 17.11 talks about the shedding of blood. It talks about the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make a, atonement for the soul. For it is the blood that makes atonement. And it was without, without the shedding of the, it's with the shedding of the blood that sin is paid for. And Jesus knew that he was going to be that lamb. He was going to be that spotless lamb that was going to go to the cross for our sins. Not just for the sins of those that were alive then, but also for the sins of all mankind. Anyone who believes on him, that payment's made. If you don't believe on him, it's not your sacrifice. But Jesus knowing all that and the upper room discourse is the last message that Jesus has for his disciple. These are the things he wanted to know before he's crucified and resurrected. I'll give you a little context. Jesus isn't just talking to the 12 apostles. He's talking to disciples because in John 14, 22, it says there's another Judas that asked Jesus a question. And John 14, 22 said, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? So we know there were other disciples there. So he was talking to a large group of disciples. And these are the things that all who desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ can learn from him. If you look at the end, look over at John chapter 17. Miss Gay's got a little bit of asthma. So... Just to let y'all know, John chapter number 17, verse number 20. When Jesus is saying his prayer, his final prayer, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, talking about the disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. In other words, he's saying that when these disciples go out into the world and they begin to witness to other people and they begin to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who believe are included in this prayer. He's talking also about them. You know who he's talking about? If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, he's talking about you. He was praying for me and you in that prayer. You go back to John 14. We're going to be going through a little bit here. But he said, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Jesus knew what was about to take place. and He knew the trials and doubt that each of the disciples would face. You know, he knew Peter was going to deny him three times. He knew the struggle that Peter was going to go through. So he wanted to leave them a message in that upper room. In that message, let me tell you some of the things. When we look at these chapters... There's no way that we can get all into it in one message. I was looking at my notes this morning. I said, Didi, this is like four messages. Lord, help you. But we're going to nibble around the edges. I want to I just show you some of the things that Jesus shared with them. And, and as I show them to you, I want you to think about them in your own life. Jesus had spent time with them, but he wanted to give them a message of assurance. Look over in uh, chapter 14. Verse 
After he had told them that he was going away, and he, uh, Peter, over in 13, verse 37, Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for, thy, for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And then in chapter 14, verse number 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. They knew that there was going to be a time of trouble for them as they watched him crucified on that cross, as they watched the persecution take place, as they watched the man that they had followed for three years, the man they proclaimed to be this Messiah, the Christ that was prophesied in the Old Testament. As they watched him die on that cross, they were going to come to the end of themselves and they were going to say, what have we been doing? What's happening here? It didn't matter how many times he tried to tell them. They're saying, what ha- what's happening here? He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He gave them assurance was the first thing that he gave them. He gave them an assurance of peace. Let not your heart be troubled. And he gave them a promise of a home prepared. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. You know what I like about not coordinating with Maxine on the music, Miss Maxine, is that uh, when it works out, you know God got in it. And when we start singing about victory in Jesus and about the mansions, it just, it just fit into me. But he says, in my father's house are many mansions. Some of you may get rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That Where I am, there you may be also. Not only did he give a promise of a home that was prepared, he told them about a way to get there. So many people out in this world, they, they, they look for different ways to get to God. They've tried all kinds of different things. They meditate. They try to reach a higher state. They, they try to worship this or worship that. But Jesus laid out the path for his disciples. If, if you're going to be a part of God's family, he told them, he said in uh, 14, verse number four, and he said, and whither, uh, verse number three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. He's saying, you already know the way. And Thomas saith unto him, now he was a big doubter. He was the one that said, Unless, except I put my hand in the side of his wound. After he was resurrected, he said, I won't believe he was resurrected. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then there's a discourse that takes place there. But he gives them a clear path to get there. You know, I think about Brian Sweeney on the phone, and he said, I'll see you when you get there. What a comforting thought to know that our loved ones that know Christ, when they pass on, that we get to see them. You know, one day I'll get to see Brother Grady Stokes up there in heaven. Brother Grady Stokes was my pastor out in Georgia. He's the one I surrendered to preach under. I got, in, I got under conviction in his church. It wasn't decided on an occupation. Obviously, I still got to work full time. 
But he, Brother Grady, was a pre, he just loved God. You know, me and Didi have talked about it, and when we're honest about it, it's like, you know, he'd hand out those outlines, and I could not follow him because he was never on the outline. And matter of fact, at the end, he would just read through the outline real quick. But I'd, I'd get those tapes, and it's not a metaphor. We had actual tape, cassette tapes. I'd take cassette tape from the service because I worked odd Sundays being on shift work, and I'd take that tape up to work, and I'd plug it in, and I'd be back there in the lab at the power plant running my chemistry and stuff, and there's Brother Grady talking, and I could just follow right along. Because his heart was the message. His heart was toward God. And you, you, just, you just have to love him. Like I said, you just appreciate where his heart and where his mind was. Those outlines, they were just a guideline. They were just something he, I don't know why he handled them out. When he passed away, I copied every one of them off of his hard drive. I've preached one of them before here, a little differently. But, but Brother Grady, one day, one day I'll get to see him. You know, Brother Grady over the Jubilees, he sit on the front row there at the Jubilee. We would go up to the, this church in just a little north of us there in Georgia, and there'd be all these preachers there, and they'd have the big preacher come in. And, you know, independent Baptists are a little different now. We don't mind shouting. I know this, this church, there you go. We need some of that. This church is a little different. You know, we started a little different, but they, they didn't mind shouting. I remember one service, this was a little bit much, but I, I remember one time at the Jubilee, they would, have, they would have the eating. I know I'm getting sidetracked on a four-chapter message. They would have a little bit of, they would have a meeting there, and I remember that preacher saying, Woo! Woo! <laughs> and, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking, man, he's a fool. But you know what? <laughs> it sure feels good hearing somebody shout about God. It sure feels good being around people that'll cheer for God. And uh, Brother Grady'd sit up on the front row there, and he'd wave a handkerchief, and he'd go, whoopee. <laughs> I could still hear it. Oh, I loved him. I loved, that's my pastor. Still my pastor. But he's up there in heaven. You know, I, I, had, to, I had to help put him on the, on the hearse, and I had to help with the funeral. But well, one day I'll get to see him again. And there's loved ones that have gone on before us. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And that's something he wanted his disciples to know. You can't follow me right now. But there's a home for you being prepared. You can't go with me. But I am the way to get there. So not only did he promise them peace... 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He gave us a promise of a prepared home and a clear path. And he also gave us a promise of provision. Look at John. Now, this is where we jump a little bit. These passages are sprinkled through 14, 15, and 16. He gave them a promise of provision. He said, I'm going away. You know, if, you, if you're leaving that last message to your loved one, one of the things you want to know is that your loved one's taken care of. People buy insurance. People, people make arrangements with family members. People write wills. They want to make sure that their family members are taken care of. Well, Jesus, 
had made sure that his family was taken care of. And he left them a provision. Look at uh, John 14, verse 16. He says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may be abide with you forever. And what, who is that comforter? It's the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And I mean that sincerely, brother. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He dwells with them then. And in the book of Acts, when they received the Holy Spirit, he dwelled in them. He, he dwells in the believer at the time of salvation. God did not leave us comfortless. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Those times and trials, the only thing I wish for Camp Hope is that they, I, I just pray, and we can pray for it, that they got a ministry that will lead people to Christ. Because Christ is the hope, that Holy Spirit within you, when it's the darkest moment, when he's standing on the bridge, when he's in that dark moment, it's the Holy Spirit that can provide comfort. It's God that can send someone their way. That Holy Spirit in the dark times can light up the room. Look at uh, verse 25. So we have a comforter, but we also have a teacher. Look at verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. We have a teacher. But, you know, it's not by osmosis. It's not laying on the pillow. It's not, it's not by revelation. It's not you walking or standing in the grocery line. The Lord spoke to me today. And this is what he said. But <laughs> five potatoes obey. <laughs> but God, it's, it's what you read. It's what you learn. It's when you listen to the preaching, garbage in, garbage out, good stuff in, good stuff out. When you begin to read God's word and you don't understand every bit of it, but you just kind of go on. You see those begats and you're like, oh, and you just read through them anyway. Just read through them anyhow. One day God says, hey, remember this? Somebody asks you a question while you're standing in line one day, and for some reason they're asking about God, and then the Holy Spirit brings those verses up. How do I know? It happens every Sunday. Get up here with nothing. No. But uh, we have a teacher through the Holy Spirit. Look at uh, verse 26, uh, 15, verse 26. I've got these marked in my Bible. It said, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. He, he gives a testimony. You know, the, the Bible says their spirit bears witness with our spirit. The Holy Spirit Bears witness, it gives you testimony of your salvation. I know that wasn't clear, but we'll go on. Holy Spirit will show it to you later. John chapter 16. Y'all can laugh. It's okay. Verse number 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he was come... 
He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We talked about that this morning. The Holy Spirit convicts, convicts of sin, convicts us to righteous, toward righteousness. We have conviction through the Holy Spirit. And he also gave them instruction for walking. I want you to go back to John chapter 13. This isn't too hard. We're not going Old Testament, New Testament. So when Jesus knew he was leaving them, he gave them assurance that there was a place to go. He gave them guidance on how to get there. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have a promise of a home in heaven. And he also gave them a promise of provision. He promised to provide the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus, as a man, would work locally. But when Jesus was crucified and was resurrected, and the Holy Spirit came down. It works globally. The Holy Spirit works in each and every one of our lives. Amen. But he gave them instruction, gave us instruction for walking. You know, this Christian life is called a walk. It's not called a sit. It's not called a stand-in. It's, it's not called TV. It's called walking. And he gave them instructions for the walk. Look at uh, chapter 13. The first thing that he showed them was he humbled himself. He was the master. He was the Lord. He was the Savior. Still is. He's Lord and Savior and the creator of all mankind. John chapter 1 tells us not, not anything was made that was made without him. Nothing was made that was made without him. But uh, in John chapter 13, we have the ministry of the towel. Jesus girded himself up with a towel and he began to wash their feet and he humbled himself before them. And he taught them that they need to take care of each other. He taught them to love one another. He also, he was, he was equipping them for service. You know, there's so many times and we can get caught up in the Bible. We can get caught up in, in, in reading and getting facts. You know, it's like the Bereans, always living to learn some new thing. And we should learn. We should grow. We should be reading our Bible. We should be learning. But if that's all that you do, all you are is a pointy-headed square block. It's doing nobody any good. But we're to take those words and to be doers of the word. We're to be going out. We're to be helping others. We're to be reaching out. We're to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Amen? I see y'all. Are y'all having trouble following me this morning? I think we're doing pretty good for four chapters. Amen. But he gave instructions for walking. John chapter 15. He told them how to bear fruit. He said, I am the true vine. Verse number one. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth. That it may bring forth more fruit. He said, now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. And you think you're going to run out and change the world for God, and you got your plan, and you lay it out, and you outline it? Charlie likes to say, man plans and God laughs. <laughs> if you're not abiding in Christ, all you're doing is, is wreaking havoc. 
He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast into the fourth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. And he says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. There's a lot more to that, but abide, bearing fruit, abiding with him. And it's talking about fellowship, too. He talks about fellowship with each other. Loving each other. Love for one another. John later described fellowship that we should have. Jesus was talking about fellowship. He was talking about loving one another as I have loved you. He said, John, when writing later to the church, he said, in 1 John 1, 3, he said, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's true fellowship. First John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Our love should be toward God, for Christ, not for the things of the world. So when he tells them to love one another, he's talking about the right kind of love. You know, nowadays we've got the word love so messed up that we've got to put an MA rating behind it. When the Bible talks about love, it's talking about an unconditional love. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. That's the kind of love the Bible talks about. He gave them warning of opposition. Look at John chapter 15, verse 18. Verse number 18. Remember, these are things he wanted to leave with them. He said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. All down through history, we have a testimony of that. All down through history, we see the persecutions. We see Nero, the king. We see he set, the, he set Rome on fire and then blamed the Christians for it. He would light his gardens with Christians. They would put Christians in the Colosseum. They would tie them up in, in sacks of skins and let the animals take them. We see Christians that have stood on doctrine down through the centuries, that have suffered for their stand on doctrine. They suffered at the hands of people that didn't agree with them. They suffered tongs. They suffered hot tongs. They suffered tortures. If you ever read Fox's Book of the Martyrs, it would just it would curl your hair, the things that man can do to other men. But Jesus said, they hate me, and they're going to hate you. doesn't mean that everybody will. There are those that want to know Christ. But the Bible says, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There will be trials. There will be people that don't, that don't agree with you. I said this morning, and this isn't very much. Well, I said, you know, out in Georgia, when I told someone I was a pastor, you know, out in Georgia, they raised a little bit different, I think, but 
they would begin to get nervous and quit cussing. They would change their whole demeanor, and they would begin to talk about going to church 20 years ago, and they would, they would begin to talk about spiritual things and things like that. I said, but out here in Texas, they just quit talking to me. <laughs> they get quiet. I'm not saying it's universal. I'll just say, you know, it's different. And it's not persecution, but I'm telling you, not everybody, you know, yea, all that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. But he said a prayer. He gave us a warning of opposition. And then in chapter number 17, he said a prayer for him. Let me pull this back in a little bit. There they are. They're in the upper room. Jesus begins talking to them, and there's so much more. And what I hit on here, I know. But I just wanted to give an overview. Just wanted to kind of look at it. And he's telling them the things that are coming. We read the book of Acts and we begin to see what was taking place. We, we, we see what took place afterwards. We see the transition of the church. We see it transitioning to the gospel of the grace of God. But in chapter number 17 when Jesus had finished giving them those last words he said a prayer for them John 17 1 he said these these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour is come glorify thy son and thy son also that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Imagine that. With the glory which I had before the world was. Look over at John chapter 1, since I couldn't do it from memory for some reason. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then if you don't already know it, you turn over to verse number 14, and it tells you who the Word was. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you look back in Genesis 1, and you can argue with me, you can disagree, whatever, but I just... I look at it and I say, and God said, there he is right there. There's the word. There's Jesus Christ. He was there in the beginning. Everything was made by him. You say, well, how does that all work, preacher? I mean, how does, I mean, mathematically, I don't know. I just know, and God said, and in the beginning was the word. Jesus Christ was there at the creation, yet he stepped away from all of that glory in order to become God manifest in the flesh. He became a man to live among men. 
to walk on this earth for 33 and a half years, to die at the hands of those that he created, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin. No sacrifice could ever do it. You look over in Hebrews and it talks about the sacrifice having to be made year after year. Year after year, they had to go with the lamb and they had to make an atonement for their sins. But Jesus Christ, once he gave his life, he sat down at the right hand of the Father because that was all the penalty that could be paid. Only the blood of the perfect Son of God, only the blood of God could make payment for our sins. And you say, well, that's good information, preacher. And I say, what do you do with it? Do you know that you know him? For those that do know him, you need to know we have a home. We have assurance of a home. In my house are many mansions. That were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's a free gift. But a gift that's not accepted is not yours. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior?